you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. It says in the book of Proverbs 10, 16, says the wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Proverbs eleven twenty four. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever trusts in his riches will, fail, will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favour is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honour and life. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Steph. Good morning, City on a Hill. How are we doing? Good to be with you. If we haven't met before, my name's Nick. Get the joy of being the lead pastor here, but also today, the joy of diving into this topic, wealth, money, finances, uh, from the book of Proverbs. We're going to dive in. As Steph mentioned, uh, if you've got your phones out, I'll I'll assume you're not on Twitter, but you're sending in a great question, uh, because we're going to have a few of us, myself, uh, Marcus, Lynn, some of the great members of our church up here to have a crack uh, at providing some kind of wisdom to the, the very practical on-the-ground questions you might have about money. Uh, I'm going to dive in straight away, and I'm going to dive in by reminding you something that majority of you probably know if you've been here for a while, and that is that I love a good sports documentary. Uh, you know, documentaries, movies, you, you watch a movie and half the time you're thinking, hang on, that's not really realistic, but a documentary, as manipulated as it might be, you know, it gets me in all the feels. You, you build, you, this, this is true life. This is, this is really happening. And so sports documentaries for me, I, I just love the in, inner workings of, of athletes and, and sporting clubs. And there is, there is one that, that transcends them all. It's called Broke. Uh, and, and this uh, documentary is about the rise and the fall uh, of many professional athletes when it comes to their own finances. Apparently two-thirds of professional athletes go broke just a couple of years after retiring and stopping their playing careers. And so this documentary tracks, well, what is the recipe for that rise and for that fall? How does, this, how does this happen? And it happens because there are some assumptions, some expectations that these young people put upon themselves after having received this multi-million dollar payout at the end of their teenage years. How are they going to spend it? Well, the documentary lets us know. The first thing you've got to do when you come into some cash uh, as a professional athlete is the first thing. You're a good child. You've got to buy a house for mum and dad. And so these athletes would, would 
purchase a, a property for their mum and dad, to pay them back for their years of, of sacrifice and giving to, their, uh, to themselves, to their careers. Uh, the second thing after buying a, a house for mum and dad is that you've got to get the Mr. T starter set. And the Mr. T starter set is the, the rings and the chains, sometimes the teeth. So you've got to look the part. You've made it to the big leagues. And now you've got to show off the bling. Uh, the third thing to do is to then buy a house for yourself after the Mr. T starter set. Priorities here, priorities. Uh, but not just a house for you. You've got to buy a house that can fit your whole entourage that has now just like a magnet, like being sucked into your orbit because of the money uh, that you received when you got drafted. Uh, and then after having uh, got a house for your entourage, the, the, the thing that might be a dead giveaway that, hey, this is not going to end well for someone's financial management is apparently the, the great pressure that athletes feel when they come into this money is the fourth thing they do is they make it rain. And that is that they take their entourage to the club and they take a wad of cash and they've just got to flick up that cash into the sky and make it rain on the dance floor there, apparently. And so the documentary sets this out. You, can, you kind of come to the end of it. It's pretty realistic why people go broke. This is not some very wise financial decisions. And partly why this documentary is interesting is that you kind of scoff at how ridiculous some of these decisions that have been made by these guys are uh, and how inevitable it is that these outcomes, being broke, would happen. One American football player said this in very Proverbs-esque language, getting money sometimes is like turning the lights on in a dark house in the ghetto. It exposes all the cockroaches and the rats. Now, while we might scoff at the idiocy and the foolishness here, uh, we, I want to suggest this morning that we are not too dissimilar to these athletes because we find ourselves, you and me, in the richest part of the world, in the richest time of human history that has ever been. And so what these guys' lives point out for us is that we live at a, a pinch point of what are we going to do with this prosperity? What are we going to do with this wealth? How do we handle wealth? We need wisdom. If you and I were to walk 500 metres that way and head into Chadston Shopping Centre, uh, we could head outside the, the Givinci store uh, and we'd be out there behind the, the velvet rope when the security guard looks us up and down before leading us in and we could buy a $23,000 handbag. Or we could walk 500 metres that way into the depths of Chadston, the suburb, and we'd realise that, that one in five people who live in Chadston live in public housing, who need help to have a roof over their head. So we live in, in this time where, where we need wisdom. Wherever we are on, on that spectrum, whether we're heading to the Gavinci or we're heading to public we need wisdom. If you are here today and you earn the average Australian salary, you earn an income that is in the top 3% of the richest incomes across the globe. We need wisdom. We need wisdom to be able to handle this wealth. And we need wisdom, particularly given the time that we find ourselves in right now. Rosalie mentioned it already, the, the cost of living pressures, the rising interest rates, the, the way that the economy is now so globally connected that something might happen in another part of the world and it might affect you and your own standard of living here where we are now. And so we need wisdom. Thank the Lord for the book of Proverbs, 
because he wants to give us wisdom even to the very practical matters of how we spend the money that is in our bank accounts, how we think about the money that he himself sends us. So we're going to open up the book of Proverbs and we're going to draw some wisdom from it about three things. The place of wealth, the practicals of handling wealth, and finally the poverty of wealth. Let's talk about the place of wealth. There was a a proverb read out for us from Proverbs 22 verse 2 that puts wealth and money in its proper place. It says this, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The testimony of Proverbs accords with the testimony of the entire Bible is that God is the one who owns everything. God is the sovereign Lord over which our circumstances, our state and our financial status sits under. See, the temptation of those young athletes that I watched on that documentary, the temptation uh, for you and for me is to believe that the, the source of our money is, of course, it's, it's, it's our own hard work, it's our own ingenuity. And so as long as we can keep doing that, then it's never going to run out. And that idea and that conviction means that we might settle into the idea that, well, actually, money is something that we can trust in. Money is something that will secure us. Money is something that we can rest upon. But Proverbs tells us this danger. Proverbs 18, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. And so money in our hearts has this tendency to become a castle, something we can find refuge in, something we can find safety in, strong, secure. Well, Proverbs confirms, yes, money is a castle, Problem is, it's a sandcastle. Proverbs 11, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And so wisdom tells us that our money is not so strong, it is not so stable, it is not so secure, that it actually isn't in our world, it isn't in our hands, it hasn't hasn't been given to us for security. No, wisdom tells us that our money is actually ours. That our source of money, employment, our health, our responsibilities, that, that, that even those aren't ours. First question of the Heidelberg Catechism says, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. See, we don't own our money We steward it. We manage it. Naked we come into the world and naked we will return. We have this this short temporary moment where we have resources to look after and to manage and handle. But the place of of wealth is is under the sovereign law, the, the creator, the true, sure and steady castle. And everything else in our world, including our own lives, are contingent upon him. You might remember, if you were here during our Vine, Trellis and Crow series, uh, there was one of the weeks where I uh, brought up John Wesley and his brother Charles Wesley and the, the kind of little small group that they had called the Holy Club at Oxford in the UK in the 18th century. Uh, they asked some, some very kind of searching questions of one another to kind of 
get into where their hearts were at before the Lord. Well, John Wesley seems like an intense guy uh, and really good at asking questions because he also had some questions that he would ask himself when it came to spending money. Here's what he'd ask. In spending this money, am I acting as if I owned it or am I acting as the trustee? What scripture passage requires me to spend money in this way? Can I offer up this purchase as a sacrifice to the Lord? Will God reward me for this expenditure at the resurrection of the just? See, these questions arise from this conviction that he's looking after God's money. He's stewarding God's money. In fact, there's an example that that kind of shows you how extreme he held on to this conviction. He was an itinerant preacher, so he ran around on horseback uh, around the UK preaching and teaching, and so often wasn't at home. And the story goes that that one day a a man had to go out and find him and, and run out to him, and he ran out to him and said, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house has burned to the ground. And Apparently his reply was, no, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. He's an intense kind of guy. But it's a completely otherworldly perspective, isn't it? That's why I kind of have to, have, to, have to blunt it for us by saying he's an intense kind of guy. Like, like, this guy lived out truly the conviction that what the Lord sent him was the Lord sending him for a time to steward. And so he put money in its proper place. Paradox is that when we see money as as not God to secure us, but rather a gift from God to be looked after, we can actually only and then can we handle money with wisdom because money is in its proper place. And as we do that, Proverbs tells us all these sorts of pros and cons that money has. Money can make you more social. It says, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Money can make you more powerful and more influential. Proverbs 22, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Money can provide some measure of stability. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. But at the same time, there might be some some fringe benefits. There's also some complications and some dangers. Money can make you a target and incite others to sin against you or treat you unfairly. The ransom of a man's wealth is the ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. Money can harden your heart to the point that you become someone who who never has the humility to ask for help. Proverbs eighteen the poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. So we can weigh up wealth with wisdom. And we notice when we do that that wealth isn't what our hearts might be tempted to, to, to pump it up to be. Instead, when we put money in its proper place, wisdom helps us see that on the hierarchy of needs for your soul, money isn't anywhere near the top. Proverbs 15 says, Better is a little with the fear, with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And so given the time and the season that you and I live, where we find ourselves in all its prosperity, we particularly need wealth and we particularly need to know the place of wealth. 
Wisdom is better than wealth. Righteousness is better than riches. The health of your soul is eternally more important than the health of your bank balance right now. Who you are, the Bible says, is more important than what you have. Your salary package, your savings, your super. These numbers aren't who you are. And an increase or a decrease in your net worth does not at all change or impact your self-worth because it's who God says you are. Now, this is incredibly counter-cultural for us. But do you know that? Do you know that your identity is what you are before God? Not what you are before the Joneses. Not what you are before the people that you look around and feel the pressure to keep up with. We need wisdom. Once we put money in its proper place in our life, we can then think about handling it well. That God has entrusted this money to us. How then can we handle it with wisdom? Let's talk about the practicals with wealth. What does it look like to manage money well? Maybe you've um, experienced it before. Maybe you've, you've felt it before. You know, you're either you're in front of the computer screen about to make a big online purchase. Maybe you're in front of the counter physically about to hand over your card. You're in that moment of decision. Should you spend this money or not? You're weighing up internally. Do I, do, I, do I really need this? And your heart is beating fast, saying, saying, yes, yes, you need this. This will level up your life. If only you could, you could have this. Imagine what people would see. Imagine what people would think. Imagine the convenience you'd be able to. And then your head is thinking, oh, I don't know if it's really worth this much. And then you press confirm purchase or you tap your card and it's done and you put the computer down or you walk away from the store and you're thinking in your head, swirling, did I really just spend that much? And you feel like you were the victim of great marketing or you've just been manipulated by this really charismatic salesperson. You know, when we live with conviction that actually it's God's money entrusted to us to steward or to manage given to us, to, to align with his priorities, the more we, we have that conviction, the, the more our sensitivity to spending is going to grow. Well, I remember when I was at, at university, I, I certainly didn't have that sensitivity out of that conviction. I was about 20 years old and I was studying finance. And so a 20-year-old studying finance, you, you think you know everything. And so I had a, a relatively now, you know, small lump sum that I was saving, hoping to, hoping to buy a car uh, in, in the months to come. But hey, I was studying finance. I knew what was going on. And so I was in this kind of environment where I was intoxicated with the thought that, you know, if I could just invest this, invisibly, this, this, this is going to grow. This is like a get rich quick. I, mean, I, I, I just need to, need to invest, the, the, make the right decisions to invest. And, and of course, I'm, I'm 20 and I'm studying finance. Of course, I'm going to make the right decisions. And so... I was intoxicated with the thought that this, this, this lump sum needed to get bigger. And so I'd been learning all the theory, and yet for all the theory that I learned, it did not equate to wisdom, because in my haste to see that lump sum grow, everything I had 
in my hands, I, I, I kind of put into the, the, the tips of people around me. And so I was, I, was, I was at a family friend's house and they said, hey, there's this, there's this company, you know, I reckon, I reckon actually they're, they're going to do really well. And I'm like, okay, I'm all in. And then I was in a lecture and, and the lecturer kind of did, did a little bit of a sidebar as he was teaching. He said, you know, actually there's this bank, you know, actually they, they're going to they're do really well. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm all in. And so I, I, I outsourced the responsibility of managing the money that God had entrusted me to, to, to the man on the street, to whoever had the great tip because I was intoxicated, blinded by the thought of what could be. I could get richer quicker. Unfortunately, it was 2008 and it was also the global financial crisis. So I lost 90% of it, uh, which was all I had at the time. Such is the cost of outsourcing that responsibility and not having wisdom. And so often, don't we, 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 we get intoxicated, whether it's in the store before the salesperson or after watching a great marketing campaign kind of hunt us out and get our heart and capture us or the tips of, of people around us who kind of, they're in the know, they must know, they've got insight. You know, we, we outsource the responsibility that God has given us because the implication of the reality of knowing the place of wealth that it is God's and he's entrusted you means he has entrusted it to you. He has given you a great responsibility to handle his money for a time and to handle it with wisdom. And so how do we go about handling God's money with wisdom? Well, the first thing we need to think about is we actually need to plan to handle it. Proverbs 21, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And so that means, number one, you need to budget. You need to budget. We're going to get very practical today. You need to budget. If God is the one who is giving you the money, sending it to you to provide for you and for you to look after, to perhaps, God willing, provide for others, you simply cannot be faithful in that responsibility if you don't actually know what he's giving you. And so a budget, whether it looks like an app, a spreadsheet, however it is that you handle this, there are many resources out there today, helps you track what is coming in, whether it's weekly, monthly, however you, whatever time frame you want, and what is going out, so that you might be faithful to see what is the Lord sending you and how should you determine where that is going out or where that's being sent. Now, if you're a couple, you might have read uh, The Barefoot Investor by Scott Pape. I know he recommends couples coming together, families coming together, uh, and having money date nights. The idea being that you might just be open about the finances. You might talk together. Apparently, for every 10 divorces, four of them are because of money. And so money needs to be talked about. You need to be open about money. And when we put money in its proper place, we can be. We're free to be. It's simply what the Lord has entrusted to us. And so in my house, uh, given what I study, I'm a little bit more wide than my wife to, to oversee the money. Uh, but it does mean that, that every so often I've had to kind of present to the board, uh, the board being my wife. Honey, here's what's coming in. Here's what's going out. Too much McDonald's. Here's what's coming up in the future that we need to prepare for. Now, life admin can be boring, but you can make it fun. But whatever you do, you need to budget so that you can actually see what the Lord is entrusting to you, where you want money, God's money, to go. You categorize it. You need shelter. You need food. You need transportation. I'm sure there's other costs. You need, you need to live. And so 
In one sense, a budget allows us to manage God's provision to us. But once we start budgeting or planning, as, as Proverbs puts it, we can determine not only what we want to spend, but also what we have free to give. And so that's number two. We budget. Proverbs, wisdom, also tells us we need to think about giving. Because the practical application of being stewards of God's money is that God is also inviting us, therefore, to be used by Him to provide for others. Proverbs 3, Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs 19, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and He will repay him for His deed. Proverbs 11, One gives freely and grows all the richer, another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. See, the reason that Proverbs gets at these, again, they're principles, not promises, but these generalities, these kind of, usually this will happen, is because people who give, people who are generous, people who, who honour the Lord with what He provides them, are the kind of people who have the character, who have the diligence and the forethought and the hard work and the humility to continue being generous. And so God blesses generous people with the joy of being a blessing and with the character and wisdom to continue to be generous. And so personally, in our budget, we put giving at the top, just as a kind of a symbolic reminder. This is what's most important. And one thing I've learned as I've studied church history and even uh, looked at more modern kind of moments in uh, church history where, where there's been a great awakening, for example, or just kind of a great spiritual renewal or revival kind of moment, a church kind of blowing up with all sorts of people coming to trust in Jesus. What you see is kind of behind what is a really spiritual event. The Lord is, is moving, bringing people, gathering people as they hear the gospel and respond. Often behind what's going on there, on the ground, they're actually very generous people that have given to fund and fuel the resources that have set up the trellis for the Spirit moving at that time. You might have heard of a guy named Humphrey Monmount. 500 years ago, he was a very successful businessman in the cloth trade. He had the conviction that he needed to use his wealth, what the Lord was giving him for the sake of the gospel. And so he personally, single-handedly, funded the translation of the English Bible and the protection of its main translator, William Tyndale. We would not have our English Bibles if it was not for a business person contributing their wealth to the Bible translation. A woman named Lady Huntingdon, born into a rich aristocratic family, lost her husband and five of her seven children. She had the conviction that she's going to use the wealth that she inherited, that she was born into, for the sake of the gospel. And she single-handedly funded the ministry of George Whitfield, who preached to over 10 million people, funded 118 churches and funded the training of the preachers for those churches. The whole of the UK impacted by her generosity. And so if God is providing more than you need to live in your budget, then it's very likely to deduce that, well, God is wanting you to be generous, to provide for the needs of others, for the church, for the mission, and for the poor. And so we budget, we give, and then wisdom also suggests that we should save. 
We should save. Proverbs 13. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. See, there's a tension here, isn't there, where where Proverbs tells us, hey, it's a really wise thing to do to be generous and to give money away. At the same time, it's saying, hey, it's a really wise thing to do to keep money and save it. The tension is resolved a little when we realize that the reason that we would save money is so that we might be able to be generous all the more. Now, of course, there might be times, perhaps like our times right now, cost of living pressures, mortgage going through the roof, where you've got to tighten the belt. And you think, man, I, I can't even save anything. Well, the thing that's going to get you through times like this is that you've been wise previously. Just like the story of Joseph in the Bible who's sent to Egypt and he's given a, a, a vision, a dream. Hey, I've got to save in this seven years of feasting so that we can have enough and we can be generous in the seven years of famine. And ultimately he does and he's able to have people from other nations come to him and say, hey, I, I need food. And they can be generous even in times of famine. <laughs> Jesus cautions us from building bigger barns. The Apostle Paul says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And so money that exists purely for self-serving ends is where it gets most dangerous. And so if you ask in a, in a moment of, of Need to save, and you're thinking about maybe saving for a home deposit. What you need to do is reframe in your mind that you're not saving for this place of sanctuary or get away from people, so you can just have your own time and you can maybe you can renovate it over time, get some sparkling water taps or something. No, you're saving so that you can buy a place of hospitality, so that you can buy a place, a dining table, where you can welcome in people, and you can build and invest in community, where you can encourage people. We can host Bible study and have the word open in this home where you can be generous with the home that you're saving for. If you're saving for a car, not just saving for, hey, I'm just going to get the, the, just an absolute killer car so that when people see me and hear me rev at the red light, they think I'm cool. No, you, you get a car so that it takes you from A to B so that you can serve people, so that you can be generous, so that you can provide yourself, your character, the gospel, the people. If you're saving to get educated, why not reframe in your mind, you are getting educated so that you will be the kind of person who's going to live a life and a career of sacrificial generosity. If you're saving in your super, you're saving not so that you can spend it all when you're 65 on your golf game, but as wisdom suggests, that you might be able to give an inheritance even to your children. And so we budget we give, we save. And finally, Proverbs warns us about the pursuit of wealth through debt. And so not, not only do we need to budget, give, save, but also be prayerful about debt. Pray about debt. Proverbs 22, be not one of those who gives pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? And I mentioned it earlier, but Proverbs 22, the rich rules over the poor. And the borrower is the slave of the lender. And so it is a wise approach to only cautiously and prayerfully go into debt. Uh, leading up to my own marriage, uh, I was struck with the idea that, hey, I'm actually going to have to be responsible here. Uh, and so I started reading a lot of uh, kind of personal finance literature, uh, and particularly from a Christian perspective. And what I remember 
what was revolutionary for me at the time, but, but one of the key takeaways, pieces of wisdom, is you should only go into debt for things that go up in value. And so a car, well, a car halves in value once you drive it off the lot, and so you should save for a car and buy the kind of car that you can afford. You want to use afterpay or buy now, pay later schemes. You know, these, these disciple you into thinking that you never need to submit to delayed gratification. And so far better for your own character to save up or only buy what you can afford. Of course, in our day and age, it's going to be very unlikely that you're going to be able to find a house and not go into debt. But it generally increases in value. And so the principle holds that it is easy to swallow because it increases in value and the equity can offset the risk. And so wisdom suggests caution, lest we over-leverage and, as Proverbs says, become a slave to the borrower. And so we need wisdom to handle money well. We need to at least, Proverbs tells us, budget, give, save, and pray about debt. Finally, let me land the plane and we'll get to some questions. Let's talk about the poverty of wealth uh, because there is an irony when we're reading Proverbs because we know that most of these Proverbs about money, about wealth, uh, can be attributed to someone who was the richest man who has ever lived, King Solomon. And the reason that King Solomon obtained his wealth wasn't primarily that he was just a part of the royal family and he inherited it, but rather that when he did ascend to the throne, God asked him, Solomon, what, do you, what, what can I do for you? And Solomon didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for honour. He asked for wisdom. And God said, that's my boy. Because you didn't ask for wealth or honour, I'm going to give you wisdom and wealth and honour. But we know if, if we track with the life of Solomon, that by the time he got to the end of his life, it, it, it didn't, didn't end so well. But for all the wisdom he had here in his, his prime years, that wisdom didn't, didn't hold for Solomon at the end as his heart was drawn away from the Lord. And so we're left looking for a wisdom that lasts, a wisdom that can, that can hold us, a wisdom that's not going to be destroyed by age or, or rust or moth or thieves. Well, a thousand years after Solomon comes Jesus. And in the ministry of Jesus, there's this moment where he's talking to the, the scribes and the Pharisees. They're trying to trap him again. And he's, he's telling them who he is. He tells them that, hey, that, that sense of a, a death and resurrection that we saw in the story of Jonah, I'm here to do it again. You're going to see it happen in me. And then he says, hey, kings and queens sought out Solomon for his wisdom. But behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And so in Jesus, we, we find a wisdom that is more faithful, more fruitful, and that fulfills the wisdom that we're reading here in the book of Proverbs, the wisdom of Solomon. And we find it in Jesus, not in, not in these golden hallways that Solomon had, not in the, the great throne room that Solomon had, not in wealth, riches, and power. No, we find it in the simplicity of the life of Jesus, who had nowhere to lay his head. He was homeless. Who hung out around the dining table with the poor and the prostitutes. The one who died naked and ashamed. But here was a man who offers us something better 
than wealth, something more lasting than money, something more life-changing than coming in to a lump sum. There's another story in the Gospels where Jesus is out in the country teaching and preaching and he comes upon a town and he, he looks up and he sees in a tree a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus has climbed the tree because his physical stature matches his moral stature. He's short and he's defrauded all the people in his town for their money as he's collected taxes from them, but more than he needed to keep some for himself. Jesus says, I'm going to have dinner at your house tonight, Zacchaeus. And after sharing the meal and after unpacking who he is and what he's come to do, we hear Zacchaeus pop out of his house, a changed man. His riches no longer satisfy him. And so he declares that he's going to give back but four times over what he has defrauded everybody. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus shows us that that meeting Jesus changes our view of money. Meeting Jesus transforms our financial priorities. Meeting Jesus impacts us on the ground to the very level of how we spend and send our money. And so the wisdom of Solomon is is God-breathed and divine and incredibly helpful for handling our finances. But the wisdom of Jesus is that finances are contingent on something far more important, far more fundamental. Zacchaeus came to see something that Solomon tells us about in Proverbs. Proverbs 11, when the wicked dies, his hope will perish and the expectation of wealth perishes too. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You need something more than riches. You need the righteousness that only Jesus can give. That poor Jesus of Nazareth who came with with very little money. He came and he did the most influential thing that only God could do for you and for all of humanity. Something that when you experience it, when you receive it, Your heart responds just like Zacchaeus. Jesus lived in your place. Jesus died your death for you. And Jesus rose again in victory. And so Jesus gives us wisdom today, which we should take and we should apply to our lives. And we should budget and we should give and we should save and we should pray about debt. But Jesus also offers you a righteousness today. One that's going to keep you in that day where finally naked you go out of this world and you meet your maker. Sovereign Lord over all. And you stand before him with nothing in your hands. You need a righteousness in that moment. And you need a righteousness that only Jesus can give you and only Jesus can save you for. So I'm going to finish by praying now. uh, And then we're going to have Q&A. And as I pray, uh, let me invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads. But this is a sign of, I guess, that reality. That, hey, before God, we, we bring nothing at all. Before God... The only things that we bring are the sin that he has come to save us from. And so I'm just going to invite you to lay your hands out in front of you, open with nothing in them. And we're going to pray that God might use what he sends into our hands with wisdom and for his purposes. Let me pray. Generous and gracious God, you are the God of heaven and earth. Lord, the rich and the poor meet together and you are the maker of them all. You are sovereign Lord of all things. Lord, we read of your wisdom and we confess our own folly. We have received what you've given us and we've acted as if we created it. We've taken your gifts 
and we've made them more pressing and influential upon us than you, the giver. Lord, free us today from greed, from selfishness, from stinginess, from anxiety, from gluttony, from waste. But Lord, we love your mercy. We need your mercy. So we thank you that that Jesus has come and he's lived the perfect life, Lord. He has lived a life of generosity, of hospitality, a life of perfectly stewarding and managing your good gifts. And he's lived that life in our place. And so we cling to that life. We cling to his righteousness and not our own. We hide behind his cross. And so, Lord, as we go from here today, give us wisdom to handle the resources you provide us in godly ways, ways that honor you and conform to the priorities that you have and that you are making us to have. May we know the place of money. May we be wise in handling money. May we be dependent upon you in using money. And so use us in our time and place to be people of love and light and generosity in our world. Help us, we pray. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we follow Jesus. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.